1: shooters on the couch. I am going to put the two most recent mass shooters on my couch uh, and look at it as a terrorism, hate crime, mental illness, and um, if you read the description of the show, you'll know that I think for both of them, mental illness is a factor, but in different ways. And, um, you know, let's talk first about how Here it is within a week of each other, essentially. March 16th was the Atlanta spa shootings, and that shooter was Robert Aaron Long. And we're also talking about Ahmad Ahmad Alisa, who um, shot up the supermarket in Colorado in Boulder. And, um, you know, why is it that uh, all of a sudden we have two shootings, mass shootings in a row? Not that this has never happened before, but um, there's a... Uh, point here, which is that we are reopening some places more than others, but uh, as we reopen and as there are places now where there are more crowds, um, like in supermarkets or, um, well, the spa shootings weren't necessarily a crowd, but people were in the streets and they were were open in any case, Um, there is going to be more attacks, now particularly in regard to terrorism. As uh, some of you may know, I, in addition to hosting Dr. Carol's Couch, I host a podcast called The Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, ever since 9-11, since I am a New Yorker born and bred, I decided that I would devote a significant part of my professional work to helping people cope with not only the memory of 9-11, which is still affecting us today, but also the ongoing threat of terrorism. Now... We have not been thinking much about terrorists in 2020 while we had the pandemic and politics and the election and everything and the riots and everything else. We weren't really, uh, we put terrorists and the threat of terrorism out of our conscious mind in any case, not out of our unconscious. Um, But I have been on my podcast, on my terrorist therapist podcast, I have been talking about how um, terrorists have not forgotten about us. And in fact, um, during those during the time that we've been distracted, uh, terrorists have been using, particularly the period of the pandemic, have been using that to gear up. They have been recruiting more people because more people are at home uh, looking at their computers, so more people were able to be recruited online. Um, they have found they've made various changes. I'm not going to get into a whole thing about terrorism, <laughs> other than in regard to Um, uh, Ahmad. um But so so, I, and I so I've been talking about how these terrorists have been gearing up, and they have been waiting uh, for us to be in, come out of our little mouseholes, and be in society, because they like to get. Um, as many people, as kill as many people and, and injure as many people as possible, whether it's, you know, with a, as a um, suicide bomber or even with a car or a truck, you know, a ramming attack. Um, the idea is to kill or injure and injure as many people as possible. So, I, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't just my idea. You know, of course, I do tons of, I mean, I've been steeped in this since 9-11, and that is what various governmental agencies and um, people looking in, in the uh, Middle East and people looking at Europe, of course, there have been terror attacks in Europe during this past year, particularly in, in France. Um, so in any case, that is what we are seeing. Uh, the fact that now that we are coming out, people who want to do us harm realize this and they are uh, going to take advantage of it. So we have to be more wary, but really the bottom line is we have to build ourselves up to be more resilient. Now, let's look at these two shooters. Um, we can talk about um, Ahmad uh, first because I know that's all. That's the as as I'm doing this live today. Um, we that is still the most recent, and we still don't know a whole lot about him. Um, but because he's he was just arrested, and you know, it's it's still everything is pretty fresh. Um, but I know that that is what most people are particularly interested in right away. But I'm going to compare him to um, Robert Aaron Long, who is also very interesting and whose story has not been told uh, psychologically. So, let, But let, let's um, stick with Ahmad for a moment. So my first um, tweet, <laughs> which I did according to Twitter six hours ago approximately, um, was Boulder shooter, Boulder, Colorado shooter caused terror, but was he a terrorist? When police conceal identity, have to wonder if suspect is radical Islamist, and they're trying to keep public calm. Downside of reopening is terrorists have been waiting for crowds to attack. Boulder strong. Okay, so that was really at the very beginning, and they were not telling us anything at that point, even the name at that point, of the shooter. So why did I write on Twitter, why did I tweet, um, that I thought this was terrorism? Well, uh, there were a number of reasons, and one of them is the fact that they weren't releasing any identification. Now, if you think back, when we did have more frequent terror attacks, um, when police would not release the identity or the name of the Attacker, shooter, whatever. It was most often. It turned out that it was a terror attack. Whether it was a lone wolf, as in this case, I believe, um, or you know, a, a greater. Obviously, the the bigger the, the attack, the more likely people could think that it's terrorism. But when it's a lone wolf, it's a little more in question. So when when the authorities hide it uh, more longer then that is a sign <laughs> that they are not wanting whether it's to keep us calm or not wanting people to have racist thoughts or uh islamophobic thoughts in this case um, you know but that is an earmark then i then just 4 hours ago i tweeted you read it here first you read it here first in prior tweet i said boulder shooter equals likely a terrorist I've been warning listeners of my Terrorist Therapist podcast on Renegade Talk, terrorists amping up and recruiting, lying in wait for when we reopen. Ahmad is just the beginning. Okay, so um, first of all, now we, it has come out, and I'll talk a little more about this. It has come out that Ahmad has had uh, mental problems. You know, this always happens, whether it's in regard to Ahmad or Robert Aaron Long. You know, first we have the parents... And family and friends and neighbors um, of, of shooters, you know, people who commit these kinds of mass crimes, they all come out, or even just individual crimes, not necessarily mass shootings. Um, people come out and they say, oh, my God, I never would have suspected so-and-so of, of being able to kill people. What? Who could that be? <laughs> you know, and then when you really dig into it, you find that there were red flags for years, years. And yet, you know, these people did not do anything enough, didn't do enough to take care of it. Now, in the case of Ahmad, they did squat, at least so far that's what come out came out. I mean, there's no evidence that he has been to see a psychiatrist or been in a mental hospital or anything, yet the family has said that there were signs of his paranoia since 2014. So, <laughs> um, I mean, did they think it was going to go away, a phase? Both of these shooters are 21 years old, by the way. Uh, which is a very interesting age, because t- 21, um, really from 17 to the early 20s, is the age when, most typically, that people with schizophrenia have their first break. Now, I don't know for sure <laughs> that, well, actually, with Ahmad and his paranoia, I think it is, um, you know, there is a fairly good... <laughs> Uh, evidence that he may well be schizophrenic, par- paranoid schizophrenic, or, uh, or also sometimes these kinds of symptoms can also appear with in the manic phase of uh, manic depressive illness, also called bipolar. But in any case, both of these shooters have evidence of some kind of um, exploding mental illness, uh, a psychotic mental illness. Now, Robert Long told the police right when they got there that um, he had a sexual addiction. And in fact, he was hospitalized or put in a halfway house, actually, um, for his sex addiction. But that is just the surface. Um, You know, his problems, his mental problems go far deeper than that. But um, one thing that's really important for people to understand is that mental illness and hate crimes And mental illness and terrorism, these things are not mutually exclusive. People who have mental illness, when I was a little psychiatrist, when I was growing up as a psychiatrist, um, and I was very active in the American Psychiatric Association and all that, and in fact I was on the National Public Affairs Committee for years, and they used to tell us, don't say that people with mental illness commit crimes. They are more often the victim of crimes. Now, that that may well be true, that they are more often the victim of crimes, but they also sometimes commit crimes. And it is very important to say that, because um, in these these two cases, as examples, if it would have been acknowledged that they had a severe mental illness that was making itself known more and more over the recent years... um, then they could have gotten help. I mean, someone should have, in any case, noticed and gotten them help. So to say that people with mental illness do not commit crimes is ridiculous. Similarly, people with mental illness and, ter- and terrorism. Um, people with mental illness, and I'm using it in a very generic kind of way, not all mental illness, so particularly psychotic mental illnesses, but people with, with serious mental problems, are more vulnerable to being uh, uh, pro- propagandized, being influenced um, by terrorist propaganda. Also because they are often outcasts and they um, appreciate the terrorists reaching out to them. Nobody else is, right? Um, and they are easily persuaded, especially if someone is psychotic and they're having trouble, you know, um, telling reality from a psychotic delusion, like, for example, hearing voices or seeing things. When, you, when you're in that kind of state, from time to time at least, um, it is a lot easier to believe something will try to convince you of and easier to be uh, motivated to do something about it, you know, to see, for example, to see uh, the West people in America, let's say, um, as the enemy, and to uh, then do something about it, like shooting them. So these things are not mutually exclusive, and, um, and we, we need to understand these things better in order to try to prevent these kinds of things from happening. So, and I'm going to go into all these details in in all these uh, issues in much greater detail. But now, um, Robert Long, in uh, in Atlanta, in Georgia, um, he right when he committed the crime, regardless of the fact that, uh, and they they gave his name out pretty quickly because his parents recognized him from information that the police were putting out. Um and so they called the police and they told them right away who he was and that his phone, you know, how to find him and so on. But right away, um people were jumping and are still jumping at and calling it a hate crime. That this was his having um let's see, let me just uh, back up for people who aren't necessarily as familiar with the, all the details, but this happened, the Atlanta spa shootings, as they're called, happened on March 16th, 2021. Um, he, Robert Aaron Long, shot up people in three spas or massage parlors in the metropolitan area of Atlanta. Eight people were killed. Six of them were Asian women. Um, so, so right away, you know, I mean, that's, that's a, a whole other issue that people are seeing, some people, are seeing whatever the news is, not necessarily just shootings, but whatever the news is, they are translating anything and everything into race, into an issue about race, from Dr. Seuss, banning Dr. Seuss um, and Monopoly and those kinds of things to um, claiming that this guy who shot up uh, massage parlors were, was a, a, it was an Asian hate crime. Now, you know, the, that was the, that was jumped to right away. Um, and that has been and continues to be a cause celeb for people to say, I mean, not to say, I mean, it is true. It is absolutely true that in this past year with the pandemic, that there have been um, a lot of, a, an increase in Asian hate crimes because of, the uh, coronavirus coming from Wuhan, China. I mean, there's no question where the coronavirus came from. Whether you think that that's uh, politically incorrect or not, there is enough evidence that the uh, coronavirus came from Wuhan, China, and that the Communist Chinese Party, not just regular Chinese people, but the Communist Chinese Party uh, hid this, and, um, and therefore we didn't get a jump on it and all of that. But in any case, so since then, since we know that it came from China, yes, there has been, it's an unfortunate result that there has been uh, a number of hate crimes because people are very scared, of course, about coronavirus, very angry that people are dying, Um, and so they want to blame I mean, You can't exactly go knocking on the door of the Communist Chinese Party and, uh, you know, punch them in the nose or something. Um, So people are instead taking out... Uh, their anger and fear physically on just people, just people who happen to be Chinese. And that's very unfortunate. It is also unfortunate that um, Robert Aaron Long's mass shooting of these massage parlors was blamed on his, um, on it being a hate crime, on his, on his having purposely targeting Asians, not because they happen to be in these massage parlors, but because they're Asians which is absolutely untrue. Now, as an example of this, um, the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, was one of the most uh, vocal, especially at the beginning, about how, oh, this is a hate crime. This is terrible. There are all these crimes against Asians. And and no, this had nothing to do with prostitution, she said. No, these were just, uh, you know, spas or massage parlors. I don't even think she wanted to say it was a massage parlor, but... But in any case, these were just spas, and there was nothing to do with prostitution, and so he couldn't have been aiming at these spas um, because of his sex addiction, which is what it was. He was trying to concretely wipe out the source of his temptation, which I'll get into in a bit. But, so she was saying, no, no way does this have anything to do with prostitution. Now, in, in fact, as it turned out, um, uh, 10 or 11 of the people in these massage parlor spas um, have been, had been over the years, over recent years had been charged with prostitution so you see (laughs) you know people just rush out there to make, because that is what they want to say, they want to make everything about race and everything about um, you know in this particular case about Asian hate crimes, I mean of course I condemn any kind of racial hate crime, I, I want to make that clear, but there is no reason to jump at this and say, I mean, because for one reason, um, claiming that it's a hate crime and not acknowledging his mental illness, again, takes away the possibility of fixing people in the future who also have these things brewing inside of them before they go out and perpetrate a mass shooting. But we need to take a break We're listening to Dr. Carroll's couch. And please stay tuned because we're going to continue with putting these shooters on my couch. Welcome Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about, and I am putting, shooters on my couch. Terrorism, hate crimes, mental illness. We're looking at all of these in regard to the two most recent mass shooters, Robert Aaron Long in Georgia and Ahmad Alisa in Colorado. Um, and looking at what motivated them, what their problems were, what could have been done about it before the shooting, and so on. Um, Let's turn for a while to the Atlanta shooter, Robert Aaron Long. Um, I like to go with by my tweets because I'm always (laughs) picking out the things that I feel most passionate about and tweeting about it. So right after it happened, on March 17th, I wrote, Georgia jumped to conclusion massage spa shootings were Asian hate crimes, but more likely Robert Aaron Long was struggling to reconcile sex addiction with his religion. So guilt plus possible mental illness made him decide to wipe out temptation by literally killing it. Now, there there are some important things there. Um, First of all, uh, you know, what he... What he told um, the police, right, he told them that he had a sex addiction, which which actually you know has been uh, supported by the fact that he has been in treatment for sex addiction. Um, but now, it's not just a sex addiction. I mean, typically people with sex addiction <laughs> sex addiction don't go around shooting at massage parlors um, because it's it's a very private crime. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know that you can call that a crime unless he hurts somebody, but it's a, it's a private problem in any case. He was really absorbed with pornography. He used to watch pornography uh, for countless hours. And, um, and, and he apparently went to these, at least some of these, not all of them, uh, massage parlors. And so what he was doing um, was trying to literally wipe out his temptation, stop these parlors from existing so that they wouldn't tempt him to go in there. And why was that? And First of all, that is, that's called concrete thinking. When you have a temptation, you know, whether it's chocolate or, of course, <laughs> it's not quite the same thing, killing chocolate bar, um, but if you, if, if he, he really felt that he had to, first he said it was to help for himself, and then he has, also, he has also said that it was to help other people with their sex addiction by literally wiping out these massage parlors, these centers of temptation. Um, that's concrete thinking, the idea that if you if you, you know, destroy it, like literally destroy it, that then you won't have the temptation. And so that's one of the clues... Um, as to the fact that he has a a more serious mental illness than sex addiction. Um, Now, the the reason why, again, people, most people with sex addiction do not, you know, go around shooting, uh, shooting massage parlors. But, again, so that relates to his mental illness. But also, the other factor here is religion. His family was very religious. And he also... Uh, attended church, and he has this whole history with religion, um, and he and guilt um, in his religion. He was made. It wasn't just. I mean, people with sex addiction, of course, typically feel guilty about it, but he felt especially guilty and especially, you know, uh, bad. I mean, especially uh, condemned himself because because his religion, in particular, was very much against. You know, loudly against. Um, sex addiction and pornography and so on. So um, it's the guilt, you know, this extra dose of guilt plus his mental illness that made him actually act on um, doing something to literally take it away. Now, my next uh, tweet about him was, um, it was in relation to an article that showed two pictures of him. Um, one was, I think when he was 18 years old, um, was, and, um, and then next to that picture, they had the picture of what he looked like when he was arrested. And it's quite frankly, it's similar to, uh, Ahmad Alisa, because if you look at pictures of him, like from his Facebook page, which is now taken down. But there are some, you can find it in some places on the internet. Um, Same thing. If you look at a picture of him from when he was younger, compared to what he looked like in the picture, I'm sure you probably saw that video (laughs) that was being live streamed during the shooting. Um, It it looks like two different people. And, And in both cases, the picture of these young men now you know after they committed the crime or as they were committing the crime shows a much deteriorated um i mean you can tell just from from the way the, the each of them look that they have gone through very hard times since the time that they had that first picture and the time and now and it's not about poking fun at how they look but it's showing that, I mean, like, were we, are we really the only ones who can see this major difference in the way that they look and, and to think that perhaps that reflects what's going on inside of them mentally, that they are deteriorating mentally, their outside appearance is a reflection of how they are deteriorating mentally. I mean, really, I don't know that you have to be a psychiatrist to figure that one out. So in this picture of... Um, of Robert Aaron Long. So I tweeted about that article. Past few years have obviously been hard on massage spa suspect Robert Aaron Long. Saw self as prodigal son, then, now returning from even worse apps. He's typical age of first psychotic breaks, so seems warning signs of impending mental illness were missed. Tragic. Then in a later tweet, I wrote, Oh, well, first let me explain this. As it turns out, um, the night before Robert Aaron Long um, committed his shooting, um, his parents threw him out of the house. His religious, very religious parents, who, of course, you know, have all along been very against his sexual addiction, and yes, you could say presumably they helped him to get treatment for that, um, and quite frankly, you know, it is shocking and that the people, the halfway house where he was getting treatment for his sex addiction, how they didn't notice that there was something deeper than a sex addiction or perhaps they didn't feel equipped to treat it, but why didn't they refer him to a psychiatrist? I don't know. Um, but in any case, uh, so the night before he went on his shooting rampage, well, now I'm talking about Robert Aaron Long in Atlanta, his parents threw him out of their house, um, And so I wrote in this tweet, uh, tough love never works or ends well. Latest case equals Robert Aaron Long. He was thrown out of parents' house night before shooting spree because kept watching porn after having been in rehab for sex addiction. Family made guilt worse and missed signs of mental problems. So, you know... And that's something worth talking about as well. I'm sure you probably have heard about how some, there is this, um you know, I don't want to say, I don't know, school of thought. I mean, it's not really, it isn't really taught in any reputable psychiatric uh, residency, for example. Um, but uh, there are some people who believe in tough love. And so, in other, particularly for addiction. So, like, if, in other words, if you, and you, you may, there have been countless cases um, that we hear about because the parents are celebrities, where the parents have thrown their kid, you know, the, the kid, let's say alcohol or drugs, whatever, um, they used one too many times, you know, and the parent had been, you um, felt like they were enabling them, that's the big thing. Um, oh, don't enable them by taking them and letting them stay in your home or, <laughs> or gosh forbid, giving them therapy. <laughs> but um, show them tough love. Don't, you know, throw them out. Don't give them money. Well, I mean, presumably you have heard about the countless cases where the kids end up committing suicide or, in this case, going on a shooting spree, killing lots of people. I mean... Um, it never ends well, and the answer to when you are at your wit's end because you have a child who is, uh, has an addiction or some kind of behavior that you feel, you know, that you don't know how to control, the answer is to um, bring them to a psychiatric, emer- well, depending on how serious it is at that particular moment, first of all, bring them to a psychiatrist for an evaluation and let a psychiatrist figure out exactly what's wrong with them and what should be done. Um, and it, the answer by the way is not just medication. It's not giving them a prescription and sending them out and um, and you know and then when they come back a month or two or three later uh, then uh giving them, and they're not better than just adding more medicines. That's what's happened today with psychiatry. Um, you know, psychiatrists have become, and not me, I refuse to become a, a pill pusher. I refuse to do what's called med visits. Um, this it's all happened, I don't know, a decade at least ago with insurance companies when they decided that they could pay people who were psychologists or social workers or marriage and family therapists a lot less to do therapy. So they divided it. So that psychiatrists, they weren't paying the psychiatrists enough to be able to spend 50 minutes with patients to do therapy and give them medication, which is the way it used to be, and, and fortunately, there are still some psychiatrists out in the world who do it that way, and that is the only way. People do not get cured by medication alone, and, but what has happened to psychiatry, they become pill pushers, and they do med visits, um, which are 15 to 30-minute visits once every one to three months. And they only talk about symptoms and side effects. Nobody gets cured um, in that, with that kind of treatment. That is not how I was trained. That is not what I do. Anybody who wants to see me has to come at least once a week for therapy. And if they also need medication for whatever it is that their problem is, I also provide medication. But, um, but um, it does not work to just... Get, you have to get to the root of the problem. And medication just helps the symptoms, and often, you know, sometimes people have to take medication for their whole life, but that doesn't mean that you don't, um, talk with them about the root of their problem, which always starts in childhood. Anyhow, if someone would have done that with these two shooters years ago, we would not have these, um, tragic shootings and these tragic deaths. Um... So I was going on about, you know, the tough love is something that has been a uh, a hot button for me for a very long time because, uh, and this and as well as is um, psychiatrists becoming pill pushers. Um, you know, that that is not, oh, I was going to say also that I work as a forensic psychiatrist and I have seen an increase over the past decade or so of um, malpractice cases against psychiatrists and psychiatric hospitals. Because psychiatrists who are pill pushers and psychiatric hospitals who um, discharge patients too early because the patient ran out of money or the insurance, um, you know, isn't going to pay for a longer stay, that kind of thing. But be that as it may, going back to people like Robert Aaron Long and um, Ahmad Alisa, you still, when you see signs of mental illness, you still need to bring them um, to a psychiatrist who evaluates them, maybe they, maybe therapy and medication for both of them might have been enough, although maybe not um, a mod really. But, um, and when they need to be hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital, then you do that. But if there's somebody seeing them once a week and keeping tabs on them and is doing therapy with them as well as giving them medication, then that's psychiatrist would know when the person was uh, beginning to ramp up and need to be in a psychiatric hospital. I mean, it really isn't, <laughs> it isn't brain surgery, I was going to say. Uh, that's not usually needed, um, but, but it is important and, and all these kinds of things um, can be prevented. So where to go next? There's so much to say about both of these people. Um, I think I may be Robert Allen Robert Aaron Long. Um, you know, he also he he went to uh, he was graduated from high school and he enrolled at the University of North Georgia, but he didn't earn a degree or continue being enrolled. He was kind of um, floating around, really, and um, he he had. Um, Posted something on, let me see here. He had posted something on, on uh, social media about, P- yeah, here it is pizza, guns, drums, music, family, and God. This pretty much sums up my life. It's a pretty good life. Well, at, uh, at least, <laughs> perhaps he was thinking that at that moment, but, um, he later changed. And in any case, he was, he was going nowhere. He was floating. He wasn't in school anymore. I haven't heard about him having a job, but perhaps that just hasn't come out yet. Um, there is this interesting, uh, history about his, um, having been in, he, he said, listen, on his Facebook page, he wrote, as many of you may remember, When I was eight years old, I thought I was becoming a Christian and got baptized during that time. And I remember a lot of the reason for that is a lot of my friends in my Sunday school class were doing that. And after that time, there wasn't any fruit from the root that is our salvation. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, That that might be a little clue that Paul is not thinking clearly. But then there there was something where he... um, he, he talked about himself as being a prodigal son. He had run away from home and he came back and he was so appreciative that the church and his parents and everybody accepted him again. But um now, I mean, that's what one of my tweets referred to, and now um he went out and he did something a lot worse than whatever, you know, whatever he had done when he was a prodigal son, as he called himself. Um, You know, he, he was a very... <laughs> A mixed-up boy who just allowed, was allowed to keep spinning out of control, and again, his guilt um, because of the uh, because of the you know he was he was active in the church. too. He did a lot of good things. Um, it wasn't all you know. It wasn't all um, it wasn't all just his uh, sex addiction. And but you know clearly as the time went on he felt more and perhaps the pandemic helped um, in terms of giving him more time to just sit in front of porn. Uh, but but he he did have redeeming features and it's really sad both for him and for the people he killed of course and injured um, that he was allowed to spin out of control to this point where he uh, in a psychotic. a psychotic um, uh, episode that he he literally tried to put an end to those things that tempted him. Well, all right, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Stay tuned. We'll talk more um, when we come back about the Boulder, Colorado shooter.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting the two most recent mass shooters on my couch. We're talking about Robert Aaron Long from the Georgia uh, Massage Parlor shootings, and Ahmad Alisa in Boulder, Colorado, his shootings from a supermarket, a King Super's supermarket. Um, by the way, I wonder if any of you thought about, uh, now remember, I've been living, <laughs> living and breathing terrorism history for, since 9-11, so, um, but perhaps some of you thought about this as well. That there, um, there may be a personal reason why he picked King Super Supermarket. But um, if you think about the uh, terror attack for at the Charlie Hebdo magazine in Paris, um, there were there it was a combination of two attacks. It was the attack at the Charlie Hebdo magazine offices, and also at a kosher supermarket. Now, I don't know if, now, and Charlie Hebdo was recently in the news in regard to a cover that they had that uh, was related to Meghan Markle and uh, the Queen, and um, Charlie Hebdo is a magazine. I do want to, uh, Charlie Hebdo is a, mag- is a magazine um, that has, it's uh, particularly known for its, um putting uh, cartoons for, for it's, it's a satirical magazine and um, it particularly uses cartoons that some find very offensive, but in fact, that's why they were attacked because uh, they had cartoons of the prophet Muhammad um, on their cover back in the day. <coughs> and um, so that's why they were attacked by radical Islamists. Now, uh, and recently, it's been in the news because of the cartoon that it had on the cover in relation to Meghan Markle and their recent interview and so on. So now, I don't know if um, if Ahmad Alisa knew anything about the recent uh, cartoons, you know, regarding Meghan Markle, um, but, and again, bringing that magazine into consciousness, but I am pretty sure he knew about... Um, the fact that I mean that that uh, Charlie Ebdo has been vilified by radical Islamists for their cartoons about the prophet Muhammad because one of the things that um that um Ahmad did on his social media was to put lots of things in regard to uh Islam not that i mean let me I always have to like uh make this qualifying statement lest people think, you know, obviously not all terrorists are Muslims and not all Muslims are terrorists. We all know that. Okay. But, um, in his, uh, in the, in Ahmad's on Ahmad's social media, he had some very interesting things in regard to Islam and in regard, particularly to Islamophobia. And in fact, um, His brother, his older brother said that he used to be, um, a, you know, a nice guy or, um, and, but until he went to high school when allegedly, um, people were, or he felt in any case, Ahmad felt, that people were making fun of him because of his name and because he was Muslim. Now that may well have happened. And yes, that, and in fact, that actually, uh, he is not alone in, as an example of what has turned numerous, uh, made numerous people become terrorists. In other words, um, th- we have, there have been many cases, including people involved with 9-11, there are many cases of people who, um, Muslims from the Middle East, who came to the United States to study or just to move here, to live. Um, for a while, or whatever, and they were um, people were Islamophobic, or people were, um, you know, made fun of them for one reason or earlier. I mean, even before nine eleven, it wasn't necessarily there wasn't as much Islamophobia as there is now, but um, even just because you know they have funny names or because they look different or all the different things that people who you know are prejudiced. Uh, Fined for making fun, making fun of other people, particularly in high school and middle school and college and that kind of thing, and that has given a number of uh, people who then become active as a terrorist um, has turned them against America. So you know, it's not it's not just out of um, the blue. You know, um, it is something to be taken into consideration. Now, Ahmad was born in Syria, this is another thing, talking about the media um uh letting out pieces of information, um, you know, in dribs and drabs and and hiding particular information. Like for example, uh, most um outlets, at least so far, um, were not didn't want to say where he came from. He came to the United States when he was three years old, he came from Syria. But there has been this um this uh cover up <laughs> Uh, You know, not wanting to say where he came from, again, to, uh, you know, perhaps because to to not, to hope, in the hopes that people would not um, be racist against Syrians, presumably. Um, So now, let's see. Oh, um, let me just see. I have so many notes about things that are so important. Um, Now, by the way, one thing that's important is that it has, in, in... Uh, something also that hasn't really been widely uh, talked about, Uh, but apparently Biden has been briefed that the shooter has had ISIS sympathies. So can't can't tell you more about that at this time, but I do know that. Um, And, okay, so let me tell you some of the things that his, uh, that his classmates said. And his, and his brother and his sister-in-law. He lived with his brother, his older brother and sister-in-law. Um, he, oh, this is, it was interesting. When, um, when he was arrested, uh, he asked for his mother. Now, again, I don't know, what, at this point, I don't know where his mother is. <laughs> um, but what struck me about that is that in terror attacks, historically in terror attacks, um, terrorists have typically called their mother and or their parents um, the night before they committed, like, for example, a suicide bombing. Um, so it struck me as interesting that he asked for his mother. Now, it also could be a sign of his, you know, falling apart mentally and so on. But anyhow, so his brother said um, that he called, he said that his brother, he said that mod uh was very antisocial and paranoid. In high school he would say he was being chased. Someone is behind him. Someone is looking for him. Uh he was on the wrestling team in high school. Now, who else was on the wrestling team? The older brother, the older Sarnayev brother. There are some uh, similarities here. You know, the Sarnayev brothers, the ones who perpetrated the Boston Marathon bombing. Um then his, so a former wrestling teammate said that he was short-tempered and scary. He once threatened to kill people during a match. His senior year, this is the teammate I'm quoting, his senior year during a wrestle-off to see who makes varsity, he actually lost his match and quit the team and yelled out in the wrestling room that he was like going to kill everybody. Nobody believed him. We were just all kind of freaked out by it, but nobody did anything about it. Believe that? I could see other kids not doing anything about it, but, like, his teacher didn't get worried <laughs> he said he was going to kill everybody. Oh, um, and let's see. Um, he said, uh, this teammate said that elite, that Ahmad was often concerned he was being targeted for his Muslim faith. He said he was pretty cool until someone made him bad. He would talk about him being Muslim, and how, if anybody tried anything, listen to this, he would file a hate crime and say they were making it up. Um, what else? There, we, there is a fair amount that has come out already from these friends and from his brother. Like his brother said, um, let's see. Um, his brother said, when he was, when, when uh, Ahmad was having lunch with my sister in a restaurant. He said, people are in the parking lot. They are looking for me. So um, his, the, the brother's wife went out, and there was no one. We didn't know what was going on in his head. Well, and this was a few years ago. Um, and then he wrote things on his social media, Ahmad did, about uh, the thinking that his school was hacking into his phone. Um, uh, two days, oh, this one is good. The the sister-in-law, two days before the shooting, she saw him playing with a gun that looked like a machine gun and said that Ahmad told them that it was loaded. They took the gun from him. Well, I don't know where they put it, and I'm not sure if that's the one that he used, but it seems like it might well have been. Um, He he said, he wrote on social media he was being stalked in high school. He said it was part racism and part due to false rumors. He said, I believe part racism for sure, but I also believe someone spread rumors about me which are false and maybe set that off. Um, there's all kinds of things like that. Now, I, I am not saying less, um, and I don't know for a fact that, that he has particular special ties, definite ties to Al-Qaeda or ISIS but, um, but, um, at the very least, I think that he was influenced by, um, their philosophy, um, and I think that maybe he it sort of combined with his feeling that people were targeting him, uh, because he was Muslim and, you know, feeling being, paranoid about, or not necessarily paranoid about. I think there probably were people in his high school who were, uh, I don't know, targeting him, but perhaps making fun of him or whatever, because he was Muslim, um, but also because of the way he, you know, exploded, um, and, and there was, he apparently didn't do as well as he wanted in wrestling. He did win some awards, but he didn't do as well as he wanted, and so, um, which is just like what happened with the elder brother, the elder Sarnayev's brother, that that was part of what we believe fueled his rage, that he, you know, the resentment that he kept inside. Well, we are um, almost at the end of the show, and I guess my overall um, conclusion is, you know, especially since we don't know, uh, we don't know all the details of, each, of both of them yet but we certainly do know enough um, for me to have said what I did. And, um, and my bottom line that I'd like you to take away from this is that um, these things did not start yesterday. Uh, they started in childhood. Someone doesn't become a sex addict because they see, happen to see one um, porno film. Uh, All of these things start in childhood. And certainly, same thing with Ahmad. Um, All of these things start in childhood. Issues that happen, uh, traumas, family relationships, things like that. Plus, of course, um, in regard to terrorists, uh, of course, propaganda that they see online or elsewhere um, from terrorists you know, uh, recruiting. And again, uh, to really tie this up, this is what I have, have been saying all along is going to be happening when we open up. Now, that isn't to say you should still hide inside your house because you're afraid of running into a terrorist, but um, the more important is to make sure that people who seem a bit odd or seem to be expressing that they're going to kill other people Uh, that you take them seriously and get them help. Thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.